Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, 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 Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keep Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who always make it past the first round of the playoffs. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and I have got a very fun interview for you today. It's another installment of our 32 Beats interview series, and I was joined by the great Jesse Marshall from The Athletic to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was a really fun chat, and you are definitely going to want to check it out. I assume that you came here to check that out, so I'll let you do that in just a second. Of course, let me first mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the whole world as the NHL playoffs are coming to an end potentially tonight I'm recording this Monday night before game four of the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Montreal Canadiens I recommend this article on Dopper Hockey 10 players whose value increased this postseason sounds like a good podcast episode stop stealing from us Tom Collins but okay yeah Dopper Hockey it's got great articles I love the tools over frozen tools so check it all out DopperHockey.com but okay, I'm ready to present to you the sixth interview we've got in our 32 Beat series. We talked about the Sharks. We talked about the Red Wings, the Flyers, the Blackhawks, recently the Vancouver Canucks with Harmon Dial, And now today, it's going to be the Pittsburgh Penguins with Jesse Marshall. I think you're going to like it. I'll talk to you in a bit. All right, everybody, super excited to bring you this next Beat Writer interview. We've got a good one. Returning for the second year in a row is the athletic reporter, Beat reporter for the Pittsburgh Penguins, Jesse Marshall. Welcome back to the show, Jesse. Thank you for having me. It's becoming a summer tradition here. We'll take it. I like uh-huh. it. Yeah, though, unfortunately, another summer tradition is we're going to be talking about the Penguins being eliminated from the playoffs again in the first round. What's going on? When I talked to you last summer, it was actually before the playoff bubble, and we were, like, gushing about how great the Penguins have been overall since, like, Crosby's rookie year, and, like, last season they were coming off a strong season. That was, like, even with a bunch of injuries, but they were still looking good heading into that bubble playoff series versus the Habs, and uh, we don't need to talk about what happened there. But then, once again, the Penguins had a really strong season in 2020-21. They finished first in the East. They had a 37 37- 16 and 3 record. Uh, they actually finished the season they losing only two of their final 11 games. So I've got to imagine hopes were super high going into that round one series versus the Islanders. But then, you know, regardless of how the underlying numbers indicate the Penguins may have dominated that series uh, six games later. And yeah, for the third year in a row, the Penguins are first round losers. So as per usual, like after this latest playoff defeat, like there were all these articles about like, does Pittsburgh need to finally shake things up? Are things going to change going to next year? Are they going to blow up their course? So, like, what's your sense right now of how the fans and organizations? organizations feel about this past season and what they want to do moving forward i think this one's probably um i don't know a little bit more frustrating than the other ones were uh in the sense that you know it really just came down to goaltending and i think going into the year you know the penguins had won six against the islanders in the regular season um you had all the reason sort of to believe that they had figured it out and kind of gotten into the, the nitty-gritty of how to beat the islander system and uh, I think even even strength in the series bared that out, right? Like, I think the Penguins were for large, large stretches of that series, just a better team, but they didn't have the goaltending. And, and Tristan Jari from the drop of the puck, um, you know, didn't have it. And unfortunately for the Penguins, their backup option, Casey DeSmith, was hurt. So they couldn't go to him. They had Max uh, Legacy and Net as a backup who, you know, played what, I think, nine, 19 career NHL games, maybe. 
mostly spot starts here and there, mostly, you know, AHL work. So they were kind of, you know, I think, unfortunately married to Tristan Jari in that. Um, and for all the, the great gains that they'd sort of made and figuring it out and, you know, again, really sort of exhibiting that they, that they'd learned something, I think from that four, uh, the, 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 you know, the uh, unfortunate, um, series against the Islanders in 2019. And then really even against the Habs the year prior, because I think both those teams play similar styles of hockey. Um, you know, so really, I don't know what the lesson is, you know, out of this. Um, I, I don't know that you really need to, you know, go out and make sweeping adjustments to the team. It won the division and, you know, arguably what was the most difficult division in all of hockey. Uh, it did so wounded for most of the year and, you know, isn't playing anymore because of really the goaltending position. Um, so I think that's, it leaves a bitter taste probably, I think is the way to put it in the mouth of mostly everybody from Pittsburgh, because I think that they, everyone feels like this team had a little bit more in them. Um, and, you know, unfortunately it was sank by, by a critical position. Yeah, that must be really frustrating. So hopefully I guess then the management sees it that way and doesn't like start trading away Latang and Malkin and everything. But like, I guess let's start in that then like Jari still has two years left of this 3.5 million AAV contract. What do you think they'll do for next year? Like, do you think the plan is to try to get another starter in free agency or like try to trade Jari? Well, I, so, you know, I think that the tricky part to this is we only can go off of what they've said so far. And Ron Hextall in the immediacy of, you know, basically the end of that series said, look, we firmly believe in Tristan Jari. We, we think he's going to rebound and, and we have uh, every reason to believe next year will be different for him. Now, it's like, that's like a standard statement from a GM, though. Like, yeah. you don't ever see GMs come out and say, like, well, this guy sucks. Well, they don't want to bury his trade value. Yeah, exactly right. You don't want to you don't want to lower the, the trade in value on the car you're trying to get rid of. Right. So. Um, we'll see what happens. I do think though, that no matter what the situation is, even, you know, because Casey DeSmith had a good year and I, I, you know, there's a ceiling potential to be had here or ceiling discussion to be had here because Casey DeSmith is not going to turn in to Andre Vasilevsky, right? It's not going to happen. Uh, you're getting, you know, somewhere around an average performance with him. I think for the Penguins, that's okay, right? They can live with that. They would have won that series against the Islanders more than likely if they had average goaltending. Uh, but again, this is an unknown. Casey Dismiss never played 60 games in a regular season. He's never gone into a playoff series as the number one. You could quite honestly put him as your starter next year and roll into the playoffs and have the exact same thing happen to him that you had with Tristan Jari. And that's, look, I mean, look, that's goaltending, right? It could happen to anybody. Um, goalies get hot, goalies go cold. I think for the Penguins, though, the point is they have two really young goalies in that. Um, and I think perhaps a need for someone in that position that can step in and be a mentor and, and uh, bring some experience to it. Now, if you look at the free agent crop of netminders, it's not great. <laughs> it's uh, like, you know, filing through, uh, um, you know, a, a, a scratch and dent bin somewhere. <laughs> but I think that, uh, you know, the Penguins are, you know, Ron Hextall knowing what he knows. I mean, they're still, I think, trade value for the Penguins in a lot of different areas of the roster moves that they may get forced to make, uh, you know, due to the cap. Um, it's There's moves out there. I don't think they're going to rely on free agency to do it. I, I think they will try to address it. I just don't think it's going to be a swing for the fences, grand slam move. It's going to be more of like a complimentary piece. I think to add a little bit of depth 
Okay, yeah. So I guess it'll be really interesting to see what they decide to do in the summer. We here at Keeping Carlson, we're big fans of Linus Allmark, but I know he's had injury trouble. <laughs> you know, that was the name I was going to throw out to you, actually. Um, I think that's the one that if you if you were looking for an example, that's kind of, I think, what the Penguins are aiming for here, right? Because sample size for him is skewed probably by his environment a little bit. You know, like I think there's more to, to him than, you know, we've seen. And if you have him, no offense to Buffalo on, you know, a more competitive team, uh, maybe there, you know, it gives you a little bit more. So I think that's the kind of move that you're looking at for the Penguins is, is in that vein exactly. And it's inconspicuous, but it serves a purpose for them. Okay, cool. Well, so at least you're saying that you think that the team was good overall. I wanted to now switch to some of the skaters here. It was really delightful. I listened back to our interview from last year. You like explained in depth why and how Crosby and Malkin have been so good for so many years. Uh, regarding Crosby, you explained that since he's been able to rely more on his like mental game than physical, he should be capable of continuing to produce at this like elite clip for years to come. And like clockwork, Crosby put up another 90-plus point pace season, 62 points in 65 games. Uh, unfortunately, things didn't go as well for Malkin as after that monster 2019-20 season, where even with like the revolving door of line mates, he had like incredible numbers, 74 points in 55 games. This year, in 2021, he started in a slump. Uh, he only had a couple points through his first six games. Uh, you wrote an article on The Athletic digging into his slump. I just read it recently and yeah you predicted that it'll probably be over soon and you were right but still he only at the end of the day managed 28 points in 33 games before uh also missing a lot of time with an injury so yeah going into this next season i see that it was announced that he underwent right knee surgery and is expected to be unavailable for training camp in september so i guess i have like a two-part question like first of all what do you think kind of went wrong with malkin this past season for him to fall from like 110 point pace to a 70 point pace and then do you have any sense of how this latest injury should affect our forecast for next season all right. I hope, <laughs> I hope you don't mind if I take the long road in answering the first part uh, of your question. Sure. All right. So, so I don't, cause for me, I don't think Ellie, you could discuss what happened at the start of the year with Evgeny Malkin and not simultaneously discuss why Jim Rutherford's no longer the general manager, because to me, there's a correlation between these events and Remember, you know, it seems so long ago now that we're allowed to go in places without a mask on, but it wasn't that long ago. Not that you should, by the way, you know, keep your mask on. Uh, but, you know, we were in a global pandemic, basically, at the start of training camp for the NHL this year. Uh, there was a lot of problems across the league with guys getting over and getting to North America. I mean, the Penguins even had one in Casper Kapanen who wasn't able to get here on time. Uh, Evgeny Malkin... For, for what was been reported by my colleague, Rob Rossi at the athletic didn't have a lot of access to ice in Russia, um, training facilities, you know, things of that nature and was behind schedule. Um, the penguins, you know, when you hear them discuss this departure of Jim Rutherford and the bringing in of Brian Burke was they, they consistently lean on the lack of a real functional, like hockey operations department. Right. And they keep saying, you know, we want a Brian Burke to build up a hockey ops department. Well, I think the lack of a hockey ops department is one of the reasons why Evgeny Malkin couldn't find ice in the off season. Now, look, I, I don't know the ins and outs. Like I'm not here to, to, I can't give you the meat and bones of the story. All I can tell you is that we know Malkin struggled to get ice in the off season. We know Rutherford's not the GM anymore and the Penguins needed a hockey ops department. So the reason I, I spin this whole tale though is because it's like that to me is the story of what happened at the start of the year. I think Malkin showed up winded and anytime you're winded and you're thinking about your endurance and your stamina over your game, I mean, it's no surprise what you beget out of that, right? Like you get a situation where you're thinking about, you know, you're not thinking about things like you normally would. You're thinking about, you know, um, you know, keeping your breath and 
you know, not collapsing. So, you know, I, that's the difference between, you know, uh, grade a elite level training in the off season and, you know, struggling to find ice. Uh, I think, you know, like, like you said, the situation did correct itself. Um, at the end of the year, you know, when the knee injury came, uh, if game Malkin actually got back into the lineup healthy and then re-injured the knee, um, and, and boom, you know, uh, try, and he tried to go through it in the playoffs. I think the one thing you probably, the, uh, this is probably for me anyway, the biggest piece of Malkin's offseason besides the surgery is a guy like Brian Burke saying the number one thing, and I'm paraphrasing, but the number one thing I learned about Evgeny Malkin is how much he cares, right? Everybody in Pittsburgh, this new staff, the new manager staff blown away by the go he gave it on one leg. And what he was able to accomplish in that Islander series, despite the fact that he was like obviously gruesomely injured. So, you know, I think he garnered the respect of a lot of the outside of the organization people that were just brought in this year um, by, you know, sort of his toughness and his stick to itiveness in the sense that, you know, trying to game it out on one leg. Um, I, I'm not really like, you know, some. Malkin's in it. You know, we talked about this with Crosby last year, but I think Malkin's sort of in that same boat of, of being, you know, now an elder statesman in the league that relies more on his, on his brains than he does his brawn, so to speak. So I think that if he were Connor McDavid and, and, you know, still relied on his skating and breakaway level speed, the knee injury would probably hurt him more. But over the last four or five years, that's not really been him, you know, his hallmark, you know, uh, in the league hasn't been, you know, the, the highlight real goal and going one on three anymore. Uh, it's been, you know, precision shooting, playmaking, um, you know, uh, nifty craftiness with the hands in front of the net, uh, you know, typical stuff that I think you get out of a player that's aging. So I'm not, I'm not super concerned about the state of him. I think for the upcoming season, um, you know, if you think of it this way, and this is, you know, maybe this is a hot take, but Maybe it's a good, not, a, let me, re, let me restart what I was about to say. Players in his position. Okay. Put in a lot of work in rehabilitation. So the story of him coming in to camp this year, or when he does arrive to the team, is probably going to be in the best shape of his career. Uh, Cause he's not going to have a choice, right? That's what rehabilitation is. I'm going to tore my ACL. I'm no professional. I came out of that, like, that was the best shape I'd ever been in my life. Like, oh, you, wow. have to put the, you have to put the work in, right? Like, you, have yeah. to, you have to learn how to do all, like, not walk all over again, but like, there's steps you have to take through the process. So, um, you know, I think he's going to come back ripped. Uh, I think he'll come back ready to go. I think he's, uh, um, you know, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think that, that, that performance and playing injured, you know, I think it really cemented, um, cemented his place here a lot, among a lot of the people that, you know, could have bought because I still think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, with Russian hockey players in this league, there's still that element of well, he's going to go to the KHL, doesn't play great defensively, he doesn't, he's not invested. You get that all over the league, right? You still to this day you get it, and I think some of the talking heads that are responsible for that are gone now, and it's it's going the way of the Buffalo, which is great, but it still persists, and I think that that was sort of like a hump we got over this year. Uh, and I, I think that's great. I mean, I think it just, it's one of those things you never know when it comes to, you know, the perception of Russian players. It's one of the unfortunate parts of hockey culture. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of, I think, you know, refreshing to see, um, you know, the front office, you know, give him credit for, for toughing it out. 
Yeah, well, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't think about that spin on it. And yeah, maybe uh, Malkin will be a nice uh, sleeper in fantasy for next year because people are probably be wary of him after like a kind of a down year offensively yeah. and because of this injury. And like you're saying, maybe he comes back and really surprises us. Uh, in the meantime, though, if he doesn't come back to start the year, one guy that I really have my eye on has got to be uh, Jared McCann, who yeah. started this year on a st- pretty standard pace, just 10 points in his first 19 games. But then when Malkin went down and McCann took over as like the second line center and he jumped to the top power play, McCann exploded. He had a run of 22 points in 24 games to end the season, almost a point per game. So, yeah, do you have any sense of where this McCann surge came from? I feel like I asked you the same question last year about Brian Rust. So this is this year's Brian Rust. Like, where did this come from? Like, did you think he had it in him? And do you think we'll potentially see it continue to start next year? Like, especially if Malkin is out of the lineup on opening night. So I think that I think that McCann did a good job at center for sure. No questions asked. Filled in admirably, admirably in that spot. Um, I think w- the, the real push for him at even strength and sort of where he became sort of like this champion for the team was, was when he moved over to the wing and had to think about, I, I, you know, and this is just my theory. I don't know. If this, is true. this isn't a knock on Jared McCann either. Center is just a more complicated position. It just is right. I think it, the defensive responsibility is heavier. You got to worry about face-offs. There's a whole, it's a, more of a 200 foot game playing defense on the left wing in my opinion, is more of like, are you there? <laughs> like, did you show up? Like, are you present? That's most of the battle, man. You know? So I think that uh, it took a little bit off of him when he moved to the wing. Uh, his power play game was unbelievable this year. That's really where he made his, his headway. Um, but I think for me, it was more or less that give it, getting him in the wing, letting him carry the puck more, putting this puck on his, on his stick Entering the offensive zone, I think allowed him to be the orchestrator of what was going on more than like the passenger uh, of, of the situation. He took advantage of that. Um, I do think, though, it, it probably it's a bit much, I think, to expect him to repeat the performance he put up from a shooting percentage perspective. He rode a real, a, a real heater all year, which is good. You know, that's not that increase your stock. Uh, and I think the Penguins, it's a no brainer that they're going to keep him for the expansion draft. But, uh, you know, I, I would, I guess I would say excited about next year for sure with a bit of tempered expectation, given some of the more underlying analytical numbers, but make no mistake about it. This is, in my opinion, anyway, the realization of the player, um, that, you know, the the Canucks thought they were going to get one, you know, all those years ago, um, not to rub it into Vancouver at all, but you know, it, it, it's a long time coming probably. And it took a little bit longer to get there. He changed organizations several times. I'm sure that probably didn't help. Um, but he certainly found a home in Pittsburgh and uh, is, I think, going to be a really critical asset for them on the wing next year. And a player that can certainly fill in, in the top six uh, in a pinch uh, when needed. And if not, uh, you know, you, you, you've got him uh, uh, with a really harmonious relationship between him and Jeff Carter uh, right. based on what we saw at the end of last year. Yeah, like I'm so interested to ask you about the top six and like how you see it playing out. Of course, it, this is Pittsburgh, so there's always going to be like a million injuries throughout the year. But like, <laughs> yeah. like going into last year, it seemed like finally like the top six was kind of like locked in, you know? Like n- normally there's all these random guys like your Dominic Simone, Zach Astonries, like whoever, Bluger, like getting chances in the top six. But then going into last year, we like it seemed like we were going to have Jason Zucker and Kasperi Kapanen say with uh, Malkin and then, you know, Gensel and Brian Rust with Crosby, and that would be our locked in top six. Uh, but now, 
going into next year, like after talking about how well McCann did, and then at the same time, like Jason Zucker was kind of a bust, I guess. I remember like listening back on our podcast, like you were really excited about him, and like why not? He had played like ten games with Pittsburgh, and he looked really good there. Uh, the patrons of our podcast, like we did a projection project last summer where we were making projections of how many points all the players would get uh, in this coming season, and like uh, Zucker got projected for fifty-seven point pace on average, and instead he ended up falling well below like he even did in Minnesota in his past couple of years. He ended up with only eighteen points in thirty-eight games. It's less than a forty-point pace. Uh, like, do you have a sense of like, am I right to say that Zucker was a bust, or do you think that maybe this was just an aberration? Like, I know it was such a weird season, and like maybe next year we could expect to bounce back and he'll stick in the top six. Well, I think it's a couple things here, right? So, so when it comes to Zucker, he doesn't get any power play time, right? That kills your point production right out of the gate. Right. I mean, I, if you're a guy that's in a top six wing. Most top six wings you can find on the first or second unit. Uh, that was not so much the case for him. Uh, you know, did, did I think fairly well at even strength given his deployment. Uh, I, I think people are looking for more goals out of him. I, I, at the end of the day, I think even he would say he probably um, gripped the stick a little bit too tight at some points of the year and whiffed on some chances he'd like to have back. And that's sort of the nature of goal scoring. You know, we mentioned the same thing about goaltending earlier. Um, I, I think, I think there is value that's been found in Jason Zucker's game among some Penguins groups of fans, specific to the micro data around what he does. Uh, talking puck retrievals, you know, get, getting stumping successfully, uh, board battles, you know, just the, the micro data entries and mm-hmm. denials. Uh, there's been a lot of value highlighted there. Um, so I think, you know, I think if you're talking about expansion draft, right, which is sort of like the theme of the whole summer, a lot of people in Pittsburgh want to make him, uh, available for Seattle, um, because of his salary, you know, and how that ties back to his performance. I don't think that's going to happen. He's too much of a utility player, kills penalties, uh, you know, you go back against the, the that Islander series, there were a lot of shifts where his physicality and forechecking really helped his line out big time. So, you know, for me, I think uh, it's, it's, I think he's definitely sticking around. There's no question about that. Um, I think there's more, like I said, from that goal scoring side, but it's tough to, it's tough to overall, I think, be disappointed with what he brought. Okay, that's good. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Yeah, he probably got a bit more power play time when he was on Minnesota. Uh, like, I guess since you brought up that expansion draft, so if you think that they're going to keep Zucker, they're going to keep McCann, like, who do you think is the player that, like, the best player that's going to be exposed that will likely get taken? It's probably going to be one of the Penguins' vaunted fourth line, which is uh, Teddy Bluger, Zach Aston Reese, and Brandon Tanev. They're going to lose a good player again. <laughs> There's no way around it. Um, you know, even if they did whip up some scenario where they, they made an agreement to, you know, to have the, the, the uh, crack and take Jason Zucker, Jason Zucker is still a good player. Right. So at the end of the day, like, no matter what, you're still losing somebody that's good. Now, the only thing we know for sure, um, so far based on, I guess, sort of general manager speak is that they're going to protect Jeff Carter, which is kind of the one that everybody scratched their head about because of his age. Um, you know, is it, was it a rental? Did they want to keep him around in lieu of holding on to somebody like Teddy Bluger or Zach Aston Reese? We know the answer to that question now. So, I mean, here's the thing. Seattle can't take all three of them, right? (laughs) That's like the one good thing. They can only take one of those players. Um, but I think one of them for sure, 
if I had to guess, I just get the hunch that it's going to be Brandon Tanev because the Seattle's not going to care about the contract length that comes with that. Uh, you know, his contributions, you know, I think to the locker room culture, um, you know, to just the uh, people, people started, I think, in Pittsburgh to really, they're not buying tickets to go see Brandon Tanev, right? But um, he became a bit of a cult hero here. Seattle, I think, is looking for players like that. You know, I think he fits that Ron Francis mold. So if I had to make a guess, that would be that would be um, where I lean. And the reality of the situation is uh, he really is – he really – it's tough to say this, but he stirs the drink for the Penguins in a lot of ways with his forechecking. So it would be – you know, again, I can't, I, there's no winning situation out of this. You know, Seattle's not going to make a mistake here and screw up. You know, the, the Penguins situation is such that they're going to lose a good player. Uh, and I think that, you know, that that's where my signs point right now. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, definitely. Brandon Tatnev is someone we know very well in the fantasy realm. He's great for hits and then was uh, producing some offense even every once in a while. So, I mean, maybe not a uh, award winning pick like uh, Fleury turned out to be for Vegas, but still, yeah, sounds like a loss. Yeah, I never really put it together that like Pittsburgh lost Fleury to Vegas and then they had this goaltending trouble in the playoffs. I guess that must have been tough for them to experience. But anyway, okay, we've talked enough about the goaltending. <laughs> uh, I wanted to go back to the top of the lineup here. I noticed something about Jake Gensel that I wanted to ask you about. Like, he had you know overall a good season like we actually talked about him in our interview last summer we were trying to figure out if he was going to play with like Crosby or Malkin because he had so much success with both of them in the previous season and you actually said that you know it's Crosby's preference to play with Gensel that's probably where he'll end up and you were you know absolutely right like that lo and behold (laughs) (laughs) yeah so Crosby Gensel Russ they stuck together basically all season Gensel uh 23 goals 56 points in 57 games so an awesome season but just to nitpick, I guess, because why not? That's around a 34-goal pace when he was looking like he'd be the kind of guy that you could bank on for 40 goals with that deployment as he had paced for in the previous couple seasons. And you can't really blame the downtick on Luck from what I see. His shooting percentage was as high as it usually is. He just straight up like shot less. He was averaging only two and a half shots per game compared to well over three shots per game in the previous season. So do you have any sense why Gensel was putting fewer shots on goal this season? Like, was this like a strategic choice with like Rust maybe taking more shots on that line? Or was it just something not working as well for Gensel as it used to? Uh, I think that there were probably periods, longer periods of the season uh, this year where that line uh, worked its way into uh, overthinking itself. So that that doesn't shock me. I didn't know that about the shots, but I think they just got way more selective this year. Um, that That's kind of like a trend across the league is, is shooters becoming more patient with goalies. Uh, but I think they took it to an extreme this year. The Penguins had like, just the wackest problems this season with three on O situations and two on O situations and that they did not score on any of them. Zero. Um, they had a three on O earlier uh, in the season around the game 14 to 20, where they did not generate a shot. on <laughs> And I think that, that like, it's a, it's a anecdotal story, but it's also, I think like symptomatic of the larger whole that it's, it's almost like a constant fight for me. I think for Mike Sullivan, to, to remind these guys to keep it as simple as they possibly can uh, because they're all, I mean, you know, Jake Gensel's the son of a coach. I think he's one of the only players we've ever seen that I actually think the game on, on Crosby's level, um, you know, I, sometimes that's not for the best. So you know, I, I think that, um, you know, there's chaos and shots, right? It forces the defense to react. Sometimes you get lucky. Um, I think it's just more of a conscious decision than it is a wrinkle or, anything even an opponent did it's it's more about i think just you know getting pucks on net and 
maybe not looking for that uh, textbook, you know, perfect one, um, and you know, being willing to accept some of the garbage. Right. I, I mean, I was just wondering because, like, obviously they had a good season overall. So, oh yeah, I, yeah. So, I mean, maybe it was for the best. And I saw that actually Brian Russ took quite a few shots himself. So I thought maybe it was like a strategic thing. So it'll be interesting to see now next year. Do we assume that Brian Russ will once again be on that top line? Like he's, he's you know, someone that we used to expect to jump all around the lineup. Like I said, last year, he stuck with Crosby and Gensel pretty much all season long. He had like 42 points in 56 games. So, you know, not as prolific as that 2019-20 breakout, but still like very, you know, valuable in fantasy, like a 60 plus point pace. So do you expect him to keep that deployment and like similar production next year? Yeah, I think he's pretty much cemented himself as a guy who, you know, as like quote unquote figured it out um, at the big league level that the sort of, I guess, you know, what, uh, you know, um, coming of age season that he had, you know, a bit ago, uh, his, you know, breakout year, so to speak, uh, was not a fluke. Um, I think he's a play driver that, you know, can increase offense wherever you put him. And for that reason, you know, that you, you mentioned him being a quote unquote utility guy. That's probably a perfect description. And it's, and it's exactly why uh, it's tough to say where he'll go. I mean, I, I think, I do think, you know, going back to that Crosby preference, uh, I do think that Sidney Crosby likes to have him up there, but I also think that, you know, he's got a proven track record of success with getting Malkin too. And if you're looking for somebody that can help kickstart Malkin right back in, into things when he gets here, um, you know, putting him with his, you know, familiar line mates will be a certain way to do that. So, um, it's tough to say, I, I I would, I would probably expect it to be that way with, with Gensel Crosby rust, um, you know, barring any unforeseen roster shakeups that we have in the off season. Right. That makes sense. And then that would leave, I guess, Malkin with Zucker and Kapanen again, as was the line for most of the time. And I wanted to ask you about Kapanen, uh, I guess the final piece of this top six. Uh, like you said, it took him a while to come over because of uh, the COVID craziness going on. But, uh, you know, like a lot of people going into the year were a lot lower on Kapanen than someone like a Jason Zucker. Like he had never really done amazingly well on the Leafs. Uh, but he actually, I think kind of under the radar, did really well this year, like offensively. Like he had 30 points in 40 games. That's over a 60 point pace. His best season of his career offensively uh, he ended the season on a really nice run he had nine points in his final 10 games playing with Malkin and Zucker uh so what do you think is going to happen next year for Kasperi Kapanen do you think that if you like if you had to bet on who's going to end up with more points between Kapanen and Zucker who would be your pick I think I would put, so that's you know the only play to crow I think I have to eat bigger than Kasperi Kapanen is Cody Cece okay. um but I think I, I did not think he'd stick in the top six, you know, the, the scouting report on him out of Toronto. Um, and what you saw in video, I think was that he struggled to keep up with players that had, you know, higher hockey IQs and could take the game quickly. Um, and in that, that's sort of where he sometimes stuck out like a sore thumb, but that, you know, he, his, I guess we'll say, um, shall we say freewheeling nature seemed to jive with Evgeny Malkin who likes to do all the same things. Uh, and, and is you know not really bound sometimes by the uh, stringent uh, constructs of systems. Uh, so I think that that it worked out for the two of them. Uh, I think they enjoyed playing together. He got dinged up in the playoffs pretty badly, um, and and I think was you know about half of what his capacity was, and still was out there you know producing uh, momentum changing shifts and sneaking behind the defense. So. I think he's found the home here. Um, I think he fits in. You know, I, I don't think that it, it jives well with Crosby, which I think I said to you last offseason. I don't think I didn't think it was going to. I think that proved to be true. 
but it jived better with Evgeny Malkin. And, and for that matter, Jeff Carter. Um, and, and, you know, I keep going back to like this third line of the Penguins that they sort of assembled that helped, you know, scored most of their goals really in the playoffs. Uh, it was a Kapanen and Carter combination. I thought that worked out really well. Um, you know, so in the event that Malkin's not available to start of the year, I think whether it's McCann or Carter at center, I think Kapanen has proven he can play well with both. So that's a, that's an encouraging sign as well. Yeah, so I mean, once again, the Penguins go into next season with like a lot of exciting forwards. You'd think they could be a strong team. Hopefully they'll figure out the goaltending. Of course, we haven't talked about the defense yet. There's a really interesting situation there because like a lot of the players we've talked about are actually pending UFAs like Malkin, Rust, Carter. They're all going to be UFAs at the end of 21-22. But the, the player I'm most curious about what's going to happen to is Chris Letang, whose eight-year deal will be coming to an end as well at the end of next season. And he's coming off a really strong year, like a 45 points in 55 games, almost a 70-point pace. Always nice to see him play almost the whole season which is like oh, not yeah. too common for Latang. so that was awesome to see uh so at this point like how much longer do you think Latang could keep doing this it's kind of like what i asked you about crosby and malkin last year like he's he's 34 years old now he's had all those injury troubles in the past do the pens still see him as like their you know potential top power play quarterback for the foreseeable future with plans to like you know re-sign him extend him or do you think that this year will be the year where they start maybe giving someone else an audition for the role planning to move on a- after this year so I think, I think the problem is they don't have anybody to do that, right? They, that player doesn't exist. So, right. um, you know, th- there's no heir apparent. Pierre-Olivier Joseph is probably the closest thing you'll get to it and had a run of, you know, like 10 to 14 games this year where he was transcendent. Uh, and then kind of like reality caught up. You're playing against pros. There were mistakes that he made that were like bar none, just unacceptable for this level. And I think it was a tough pill to swallow for the Penguins to set him down. Because most, you know, not most of the time, but a lot of the time you can get away with raw talent, right? Like you can ride that and say like, look, like even though this player has like some major deficiencies in defensive awareness, his skating, et cetera, et cetera, is enough to overcompensate for that. That wasn't the case with Pierre Olivier Joseph. Now, I still think, you know, ultimately he's in the lineup no matter what next year, um, bar none period point blank. Uh, but I don't think he is going to usurp Chris Letang at this point or jump over him or be able to do some of the things even that Latang does. I, I think that, uh, you know, we have to say that it was, you know, and you mentioned it on the point side, but even analytically, you know, on the other end, um, and just from an eye test perspective, it was a much different year from Latang. I was more controlled. Um, yeah, I think it was more methodical, uh, less volatile. I think the relate, he had a great relationship with Todd Reardon uh, before when he was here. I think that kind of re-blossomed a little bit. Uh, and the Penguins sort of, you know, kind of found, refound, I'll say, um, you know, I think uh, some of the defensive freedom to activate and get involved in the play and make decisions to help the offense, which is something they'd been a little bit more re- on the reserve side with, really, since Barry Trotz and the Capitals knocked them out all the way back in 2018. So, uh, you know, that they've got that going for them. I think that the coaching relationships there, just, I, I don't know about that long-term piece, you know, and I think that He's considered, you know, part quote unquote of the core there, but, and there's always a hesitancy to quote unquote, like shake that core up. Um, but I, you know, I think he's also probably the, the piece that's most likely to go out of, out of the three of them, obviously. So, you know, I think this year's performance probably dictates what Ron Hextall does next and whether or not there's this like team friendly player friendly, like let's get you to retire your deal or if ultimately he's finishing out his career somewhere else. I don't think the Penguins are in a position to bend over backwards and make that 
happened for him. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate part of the business, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, performance dictates what happens next. Okay, that makes sense. And also, I guess it's like what Latang wants to do. Maybe he'll be excited to try somewhere new to end his career. I guess only he knows. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of, I guess, disconcerting that, like you say, basically, they don't have an obvious option of who's going to be the next Latang. Like you brought off Pierre-Olivier Joseph. I guess another name that we talked about last summer that we thought maybe could be the next in line was John Marino. I'm very curious to know what happened to him. He took a huge step back, only 13 points in 52 games. Uh, I was also seeing that like people were unhappy with like his defensive play. Like I, When I listened yeah. to your interview, like it seemed like you were like super high on John Marino and you thought that the Penguins had themselves a steal. Uh, what do you think happened with this guy? A large part of his first part of the season was uh, him playing on the wrong side out of necessity based on the injury situation. And it was bad. <laughs> I think like, I think I get Mike Sullivan's line of thinking on it and to say like, this is, this player is so talented that I'm going to be able to do this and get away with it. Right that wasn't, that just was not the case. Like he's still super young. He was a sophomore. Uh, he was on the wrong side and kept going. It was one of those situations where I felt like he was just out of his comfort zone and kept floating to his natural position, much to the detriment of the penguins. Uh, they get him back on the right side where he belongs, uh, pair him back up with Marcus Pedersen, who he's very familiar with and a longstanding rapport with, and boom, they were right back at it. Um, I think in a, in a weird twist of fate, <laughs> Cody Cece and Mike Matheson being as good as they were made Marino and Pedersen more of a defensive, uh, entity for the Penguins, um, which they did. And I think they did well, but it produced some less than flashy results. When you combine that with him just being flopped on the wrong side, uh, and you know, the, the, the difficulties that sophomores can have in this league uh anyway um i'm not concerned about marino i think he's headed in the right direction he had a great playoff i think by the end of the year everything had sort of regularized and he'd found his his spot i do think without question he'll be relied on for more of an offensive role next year and he'll be more involved in the breakout out of necessity um but you know i know no alarm bells ringing over here for me okay that's good so do you think if uh the penguins had the option to take back that six-year contract like four million a year do you think they would do that or do you think they're happy that they have him locked in still i think even yeah i think even in his performance right at where he was last year i still think that contract's a bargain um that's because you know and that's just a testament i think to how good he was defensively um and and by the way some of the other stuff didn't pop as much um i still think he gave you a good body of work overall on his own end and then I guess another guy with a big contract is Mike Matheson, who people were like a bit surprised. I remember when the Penguins traded for him because he signed that eight-year deal with Florida a few years back. Uh, like I'm just trying to figure out, like let's say Chris Letang gets injured or you know he leaves as a UFA. Like at this point, is your bet uh, Pierre Olivier Joseph is the one who steps in on the top power play? Or does Mike Matheson have a chance? I saw he got some power play time this year. Well, it might be John Marino. Um, you got to throw his name in the hat too. Um, but yeah, between the three of them, yeah, that's probably it. I Matheson would probably be the leading candidate based on experience. Um, I think that uh, what a roller coaster of a year for him, you know, just really awful to start the season. Penguins fans are like, Oh no, here we go. It's like Jack Johnson 2.0. But he came back, got hurt, came back and then was immediately impactful. Went through another period where it was like, Oh, what is going on out there? And then again, you know, so I think that's just the story of him, right? That's, that's Mike Matheson in a nutshell. 
uh, that's that's probably offensive minded third pairing defenseman in a nutshell. <laughs> it's just kind of think like that's the bed you get uh, you have to lay in with them. Uh, the contract is the problem, right? And then like you you parlay that into the expansion draft if you make him available. So yeah, is Ron Francis going to take that deal? Like, is he taking that contract on? Probably not, right? Like I, I can't see him uh, opting to take Mike Matheson over Zach Aston Reese. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. So. Uh, it is what it is. I don't know how they're going to handle it or what the future holds for it. And, you know, nobody thought they could get out from underneath the Jack Johnson contract. They found a way to do that. And then another team signed him. So it's anything is possible in this league. Um, but I just, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to separate the paper from the player in this case, because you look at his body work this year, you could probably be pretty pleased with it. But the paper part of it creeps in the back of your mind. You're like, oh, six, eight more years of this almost, you know, like six more years of this. So it's uh, it's definitely something that's made, I think, people in Pittsburgh gnash their teeth a little bit. Hey, especially when Patrick Cornquist was so good for Florida. Oh, yeah. He was awesome. Like, he still has a couple years left in his contract, but he like really earned every penny last year. Right. Amazing. Uh, okay, man, there's so many things I want to ask you about, Jesse, but I know your your time is valuable and this, this, it's just flown by. It's been so fun. So before we close out, uh, final question I want to ask you. I asked you this last year as well. Uh, if you had to pick one Penguin that you expect to be the biggest positive surprise next season, maybe someone that people aren't you know expecting too much from and and maybe will you know get them late in their fantasy drafts and potentially be very happy with with that bet, who, who do you think that would be? And then on the flip side, like who's a player who you think might end up being a bigger disappointment uh, player? You know, people may be too high on, and then they're going to be disappointed if they draft them in fantasy. All right. So from a fantasy perspective, if he sticks on the team, I think Zach Aston Reese's return from injury last year, like showed a goal scoring side of him that we knew existed that we just hadn't seen yet. Uh, and we go back and look at his paces, you know, even in the playoffs, um, you know, it, it, immediate impact for the team in bottom six scoring. So if you're looking for a depth guy uh, with shorthanded goal potential hit potential, uh, and maybe like this slight untapped offensive scoring potential as a late rounder. I think that's a good pick. Okay. Uh, here's my caution one though. Casper happened and shot the lights out last year. Um, everything he touched turned to gold. And I think anytime that happens, you have to throw at least a modicum of caution out to say like, eh, it's going to be tough to do this again next year. He kind of fits that bill for me. So because of, of the fact that he, you know, again, very harmonious relationship with Carter, but slid down the third line. You know, ultimately, you have to consider that it was what it was. It was a demotion. Uh, I, I would temper my expectations there a little bit. Not to say he's not a great pick, but don't swing for the fences with Kapanen based off of some of the goal results this year because it's going to be a tough thing for him to replicate. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm seeing now he had a 16.2 shooting percentage this past well, yeah. year. I knew it was over 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was like generally closer to 10 when he was on the Leafs. So yeah, that's a really good point along with the demotion to the third line. All right, Jesse, this was so much fun. I guess uh, if people enjoyed this interview, as I'm sure they did, they're going to want to follow all of your great work on The Athletic, uh, follow you on Twitter. Do you want to tell people how they can keep up with what you're up to? Yeah, there's a podcast on The Athletic uh, called Dying Alive that we do. And then uh, at FOF on Twitter. Okay, awesome. And I'll uh, link to all of that in the show notes. So thanks again. Uh, Good luck to the Penguins next year. Hopefully we'll be talking about uh, a longer playoff run when we talk again next summer. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much again to Jesse Marshall for that really fun chat about the Penguins. I really enjoyed it. Make sure to follow Jesse on Twitter. I don't know if you caught that Twitter handle, at jmarshfoff. Yeah, so man... We're uh, six interviews down, still a ton to go. I hope you've been liking it. We'd love to hear your feedback. At Keeping Carlson tweeted us. Let us know what you think of the interview series so far. Also, we've been tweeting out each of these beat writer interviews as we go. And 
you know, it wouldn't hurt if you wanted to like tweet a response that's including the tag of the person that I interviewed saying, yeah, that was a really great interview. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure that they'll appreciate to hear that as well. These people are uh, working hard, as am I, to bring you great content all throughout the offseason. We're not going to stop anytime soon. So yeah, thanks again for listening. If you just tuned into this one for the Pittsburgh Penguins, like I said, we've got lots of other interviews that you can go back and listen to. And make sure you're subscribed to Keeping Carlson throughout the offseason to get all of our interview episodes and everything else that Brian and I drop in the feed over the next few months. So, you know, subscribe to us on your Spotify, your Apple Podcasts, your Google Podcasts. You know what to do. You found this podcast. I'm sure you can find all of them. We'd really appreciate a subscription. But okay, with that... What else should I say? I guess we have our Patreon still going. Thanks so much. I'm not even going to promote like new people signing up to Patreon. If you want to, go ahead. I just want to take this moment to thank all of the patrons who have been hanging out on our Discord server and like supporting the podcast over the summer. We've got our $1 uh, summer promotion going, and we really appreciate all the fun people who have decided to hang out with us, even though their fantasy season is long finished. All these people have already won their leagues and have spent their money and are, you know, gearing up for next year. And uh, it's still fun to talk fantasy, you know, all year round because fantasy never ends, right? In Dynasty Leagues, uh, I've been trying to figure out what to do with Brendan Gallagher. Uh, you know, we'll see if he can get a hat trick for me tonight. After you listen to this, you'll know if I got one final good performance from Gallagher to help me decide if I should keep him or drop him before that uh, big six-year contract. Okay, what am I talking Okay, let's end the show. All right, let's cue the outro music. I'm going to go ahead and read you the credits right now. Uh, Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast is presented by Dauber Hockey. It's supported by our patrons. Outro music by Pat Roach. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. And this episode was researched with the help of Cap Friendly and Elite Prospects and Frozen Tools, of course. The Athletic and mainly uh, from Jesse Marshall, who answered all of my questions just brilliantly. Again, I really enjoyed that talk. Check out all of his stuff. Uh, But okay, I guess uh, the music is still playing, but I'm done talking. So just remember, until next time, fantasy hockey is for everyone.